Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Discologist. I am your host, Kevin. As usual, we are so happy to have you here uh, through the power of the interwebs. I uh, we're going to take you down a little uh, jazz hole, put you on a jazz odyssey this week, which is which is fine. I hope it's fine with all you guys. We, you know, in the four hundred episodes that came before this is Chunky Glasses the podcast. I hope we made it clear that. Uh, we do sort of celebrate all music. We cover every kind of music. We do it uh, voraciously, uh, 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 sort of omnivorously. You know, all this stuff is is based on sort of vibrations, and we try to get out there and feel them all. Now, particularly with jazz, um, thanks to my friend Marcus Moore. He used to be with Bandcamp. Uh, now he's writing a book on Kendrick Lamar that you're going to see in, uh, I think, 2020, maybe the end of 2019. I have to check. The point is that he's a huge jazz head, and so just talking with him, he could put stuff in front of me, and I could listen to it, and as a musician, as a, a person who talks about music, a person who just loves to listen to music, I can like dig deeper into it because I have this person I trust, and they're putting this in front of me, so I trust them, and I'm going to trust this piece of work. And that is what I hope we do for you today if you are not hip to the jazz thing or you are just hearing the name Julian Lage. Uh, you may have been under a rock. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Lage was a child prodigy. He, at 12, performed on the Grammys. At 15, he was teaching jazz at Stanford. He is uh, the stuff, and it's still being written, but the stuff of legend. He is one of these immaculate guitar players that just chases his muse wherever it's going to take him. And over the course of nine albums, and this is just his solo stuff, uh, you know, he's collaborated with the people of Nels Klein. That's how I first heard of him. So talk about, like, somebody putting it in front of you. Um, you know, Nels was doing his own thing. Then he got in Wilco, big Wilco fan. And then he started putting out these smaller albums. Uh, and one of them was with Julian Lage. So Room, 2014. Uh, since then, he's put out World's Fair, Arclight, Mount Royal, uh, Modern Lore was the last one in 2018. And so now on Love Hurts, he is back to sort of uh, honor where he came from, there is Ornette Coleman, uh, there's Keith Jarrett on this, and uh, there is the title track, there's Roy Orbison. And it's all sort of like lovingly attended to by this remarkable trio that he's assembled. And so beyond being just uh, just a great collection of songs, the performance is great, you're going to get sort of a little education into jazz. It is, and I, and I haven't talked to him, so I don't know if this was the intent, but it is and I believe maybe should be handed out as uh, a little jazz primer. If, you, if you're curious about jazz, pick this up. It'll start, like, get, dip your toe in the water. Um, and, and so now he is sort of paying it forward, putting it in front of you all. My friend Casey Ray is going to be stopping by here uh, real quick uh, to talk about this album, a minor jazz prodigy in his own right, amongst other things. Host of uh, Dead to Me. He's been on, uh, he's written a book. You're going to hear all about it, but 
but he does know and love jazz, so we're going to be doing that. But I wanted to wanted to get you into this real quick now. Um, so what we're going to do? There's a there's a classic Ornette Coleman track. It's called "Tomorrow Is the Question," and this is Julian Lage's take on it. So check this out, and when we come back, uh, Mr. Ray is going to be joining us as we dig into Julian Lage's latest album, Love Hurts. a little bit of tomorrow's the question that is uh ornette coleman by the way of julian lage uh joining me right now to dig into this album love hurts is mr casey ray uh you might have heard of him on 1a <laughs> fame uh but the host of dead to me amongst other things also uh writer of a new book about william burroughs uh how things going in dc for you casey uh, they're pretty good it's another gray and foggy day that i'm sure you're happy to miss not really. I mean, here it's, well, we have a foot of snow on the ground. It's not it's really icy. foggy outside. It's just foggy in my mind, but they, <laughs> they, they go together. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good state to be talking about Julian Lage. Um, Probably. This kid, uh, you, I wouldn't have you on to talk about this because uh, you have a similar, although he, he went to like, I don't know how higher. similar, dude. Yeah. Huh? I don't know how similar this guy. This well, guy is well, so but you were ranks. you were you were uh, by by your own admission somewhat of a of a guitar prodigy. And you went to school for jazz, like yeah. I, mean, I probably was in the in the general sense of like you know having a, a young person who's creative and shows some aptitude for 
a thing. It'd be like, you know, just because you're like a, a really good at baseball and have an arm on you doesn't mean you're going to get to the majors. You know, there's <laughs> right. a lot of other factors that like will come into uh, play. And, you know, you might not even really want to do, uh, you know, the version of the thing that you started out doing. So for me, like when I was 16 years old, I did a thing that Julian Lage appears to have done, which is impress uh, folks at a music school. Mm-hmm. Um, to admit him early. And um, here's where our paths diverge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a couple of years studying jazz guitar at a state university, uh, the University of Maine at Augusta, which is a perfectly fine school uh, in Maine. Uh, has a nice music department for, you know, <laughs> relatively speaking. Sure. Um, and, you know, I'm not really sure, like, exactly what I got out of that education other than playing, uh, uh, you know, around people who were better than me. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, you know, sort of getting a, a sense of what jazz was about and how jazz could be expressed, particularly on this instrument. I'm assuming that that is probably to some extent what Julian Lage was exposed to. Of yeah. course, you know, his, his discipline allowed him to, uh, at a very, very early age, reach far, you know, loftier heights when he was actually made a faculty member at the Stanford <laughs> Jazz Workshop at age 15. Which is, yeah, which is kind of insane. Um, but I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you got it, you got it, man. And, and he, he, we have discussed many times like offline how much he has got it. Um, Yeah. And the thing is he keeps getting it and that's the hallmark of the great musician. Um, when I first got turned on to him, I think I was at your house when you lived in DC and you were playing something from Arclight. I was blown away. First of all, it's an amazing record, but I didn't realize at the time that I'd actually encountered him before via John Zorn. And yes. uh, then I realized that, you know, Nels Klein was also in the picture as a sort of, you know, guitar mentor uh, colleague figure. And I'm, a, I really love Nels Klein and have loved him, you know, well before he joined Wilco. And I think he does great work there too. Uh, so to me, looking uh, at the spread of folks who sort of uh, acknowledge and invested in this kid's talent, um, you know, it was a, a real green light for me to investigate further, and I did. And what I discovered is each one of his albums, his uh, expressive abilities uh, expand. And it's not a matter necessarily of chops. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's I can really hear his thoughtfulness in just about every phrase, uh, including you know complex passages. Uh, it, and it's an astounding thing to be able to be moved by somebody's brain. That's a good way to put it, the thoughtfulness, because if you look at like the people that he has collaborated with, he's starting in 1999, like David Grisman. He's uh, done Eric Harland, uh, Sophie Millman, uh, up, up to Nels Klein. Like you said, John Zorn, you mentioned. Uh, he did this Nels Klein 4 thing in 2018, Currents Constellations, which is one of my favorite albums of that year. And um, and when I saw him, at, uh, he played at a venue in Washington, D.C. called Union Stage. He did a little tour for his last album which was actually uh, sort of a teaser for this because the right. set was mostly this album. And this is an uh, interesting album, just like, you know, it spans quite a gamut of, like, right. American musical um, ideas. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so, but when you're talking about this album as opposed to his other stuff, his other stuff is, is like, his own stuff. He'll, he's throwing a few little covers in there. 
here and there. But this is exclusively covers, and um, it runs the gamut of uh, hardcore, like jazz classics. You know, you heard tomorrow's question. Uh, we're going to listen to the windup uh, real quick here. But but he also gets into like Roy Orbison. Yeah. And, well, he's always and, had that that sort of you know 1950s uh, streak that's shot through his music, and and some of it sort of almost comes across as squeaky clean, you know, like uh, you know, to me he's like the Chet Baker of guitar, you know, Chet Baker uh, was a trumpet player, but like he's got this sort of you know um, quaffed quality that comes across, and and especially when he does like a 50s song uh, right. or whatever. But the the funny thing about you know he can get ugly and weird not like super ugly like Nels Klein is more atonal and kind of goes out, colors outside the lines a lot more but I think about the difference between Nels and say John Zorn it's like Nels is like definitely an Obi-Wan type guy and John Zorn is like a Darth of some kind yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I would I would put Lage on the light side of the force but there's no doubt about it, he has some understanding of the dark side as well. I, you know, I, I think uh, it's funny because his his normal uh, axe is a Telecaster, which is something that I don't often associate with jazz, and I and I could just be wrong on that or not, you know, versed. You're not wrong. Uh, Telecasters are, you know, they're they're chicken picking instruments, and at best, yeah. at best, you can get a mid range with a lot of bite that gets close to a almost a, like a Les Paul region, but um, right. still twangs. A lot, yeah. And, and, um, and he, the twang is not something that you associate with with jazz. Um, jazz often has like a rolled off tone, um, you know, and and oftentimes those are solid body instruments like a Les Paul uh, yeah. with the, on the bridge pickup, and it gives it a sort of fat and muffled uh, tonality. But Lage's tone is um, definitely accentuates. You know the 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 '50s Buddy Holly ask kind of bends, and you know uh, he would probably play really elegantly with a tremolo, but I don't really hear him do a lot of you know or whammy bars. The kids call it. <laughs> yeah. You know I don't hear him do a lot. Floyd Rose, motherfucker. Yeah, right. no, he doesn't. He doesn't do dive bombs. Uh, that's for sure. But it, but you know he also um, you know gets most of it across with his left hand. And yeah. I, and I think he's just such a sort of artful. Uh, articulator of of ideas in in these melodic lines, and like I said, sometimes they get a little bit hairy. Uh, but he always sticks to the landing. Yeah, let's hear an example of that now. Let's play a little bit of the windup. This is the uh, Keith Jarrett classic, and um, uh, again, like I'm not a Keith Jarrett like scholar <laughs> or even exposed to it, or and and I I'm ashamed to admit this uh, that versed in Ornette Coleman. Well, Ornette so, Coleman's a real out player, and it's kind of an interesting sure. choice for somebody like uh, Lage, who, like I said, is you know he um, he does get a little hairy, but he, I would say he largely colors inside the lines because he likes lines. He likes sleek lines. Think of it as like a designer. Um, yeah, you know, you can imagine somebody like Lager as being like really interested in fonts, and yeah, yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> he has a few sort. <laughs> A few select fonts that he prefers, yeah, uh, and he tends to work with those. And none um, of them are Comic Sans, right? None of them are Comic Sans, but but Ornette Coleman isn't co Comic Sans. That's just sort of like some alien script, you know. Yep. And yep. Uh, and it's really the definition of out. Um, and when you think about somebody like um, 
Keith Jarrett, the, he plays like intense clusters of notes. And it's almost like being pelted with the world's most intense but incredibly beautiful rain shower. Uh, sometimes yeah. it gets a little scary. Uh, you're you're positively enveloped, and the tonality of of being stuck in like a corrugated shack in the rain is it can be very intense. Uh, so it's interesting that that Lage would choose either of those composers performers to. Um, there's there's two Jarrett songs on the album. Interpret, but, yeah, yeah, and, and so this is one of them. This is a little bit of the wind up. So the beginning part of that is so uh, groovy, but if I'm if I'm somebody who doesn't love jazz, and I hear that, I'm just like this. This is not what this is not what turns me off about jazz. You know, it, yeah. it is the collection of notes retranslated into like an idiom that people can understand or or digest who might not usually get into this. And, that's and right. I think this this is something that's kind of fascinating about his career today is is the choices he've made and 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 i i will not call him like pop jazz but he certainly is more popular and the cho- he's making choices that put him in front of people more than say yeah, somebody it's not, is it's not smooth jazz or any of those absolutely sort of, not uh, more sanded off uh versions of of jazz which is can be intense exploratory and and you know, is again largely an improvisatory medium. Yeah. So um, the fact that you have somebody who's 
you know, kind of sleek about it, uh, but isn't cheesy on any level. There is mm. zero cheese to Julian Lage. So if you're hearing this, you've never heard him before. If you're listening to this show, and you've never heard him before. And you're like, oh, I don't know. It sounds kind of like uh, prissy. You know, it's not. He he really, really is a bold player. Um, he is. And, and he marries on this one uh, more so than the others. And I think this was actually the mission statement for this. He marries composition to his improvisation. Um, you know, on these tracks, they if you know the original songs, they're recognizable. He never gets too far outside of it, but yeah. he also, there is, he leaves room for him to like, okay, now I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to open the hole in the universe. So I got to ask you a question. Like, yeah, you might be more aware of what his audience is. Like, who are they? Are they young? When you went to go see him live, and I'm so bummed I missed that. I, you, yeah. I got that live recording that somebody in the audience. Yeah, well. We'll put in the show notes for that too. It's just, it's so incredible. Um, and you know, I'm such a shut in. I really feel bad about not going, but well, I'm not a shut in. Now, look, I have a toddler and an eight year old. So that's kind of, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. de facto shut in. Uh, but you know, I, what I got from that was that recording was that, you know, he was really digging into this material and it, it's, it is like you said, very much representative of the, of the composition but it's also totally his interpretation. Yeah, I mean, the, the audience for that, in my opinion, uh, reminded me of a Fish after show jam band audience. Hmm. Um, and, and you would know what that means. I, I don't know if, if, if our, our listeners would. So, so well, I've never been backstage at a Fish show. <laughs> I can huh? tell you that. I've never been backstage. Well, no, no, not show. backstage, but like, so, so like when Fish played Hampton in like 1998, I think. Uh, that was when I went to that show. There was at hotel lobbies and everything around there. There was like Charlie Hunter set up. There was all was, these other yeah. associated bands. Some, some, always some like iteration of Medeski, Martin and Wood. Somebody. Yeah, I, I, I don't know anything about that, man. That's that's all news to me. Yeah. I saw Fish open for Carlos Santana in 1991. <laughs> that was the only time I ever saw them. I lived in their town for like. 15 years well I'm, I'm here I know, to tell I you the members of the band and i'm here and, to tell you this was happening literally everyone who has worked for them this was happening and and so you would see and, and so the the people at the show there were people up front that were clearly from like a jazz department of some school in dc is um, that right and, yeah and and they were clearly and they were all like study they were studying like everything about it but then okay, so we then had like three people back it was just nerds yeah three people back it was the jam people and it was, uh, you know, you said you mentioned guitar nerds. It was um, people who just understand whether they got to him through jazz or through Wilco because of Nels Klein that uh, this kid right. okay. can fucking play. And um, so, like people who are like, a, like they they probably idolize Trey, but have expanded their pantheon yes. to include other slingers. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's actually absolutely right, absolutely right, and that's the way it should go, kids. You shouldn't just <laughs> listen to Trey Anastasia. But, um, but, uh, you know, I think what was phenomenal for me about that set, uh, and his career to date, I think. So I expected that room to be half full. I expected nobody to be there. I was covering it. I was like, sweet, I'm just going to get there. And the motherfucker was sold out. Wow. And yeah, and in, in DC, that's not for a jazz show, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's a jazz show. Yeah, it's Um, a jazz show. I think so, he must be doing an awful lot for for jazz in his way then because uh he's he's kind of giving folks permission to feel 
a kinship with that style of um, performance and composition in their era. And that's what it's really all about. If you yeah. have somebody who's representational of like a real vibe or a real feeling and can, can claim that as their own, then there's no reason that it has to be put into you know some parlor or museum. Uh, it can be living and breathing in the here and now. The same is true with jam. I mean, I, I didn't mean to give fish shit or anything. I just didn't it's come from. I just didn't come from that scene, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I don't have a lot of familiarity with it, um, and nor do I like actively participate in in that culture. And it's very much a live music culture, and I really think that that's yeah. a beautiful thing for people who live that experience so deeply. Clearly, I, th- I think that 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 culture actually benefits people like Lage because yeah, sure uh, there, there's there's not a lot of uh, discerning taste <laughs> sometimes in right. that culture and then but so so the entry to barrier entry is just like can he shred on a guitar Julian Lage is like yes and also right I I'm a jazz genius well, and let's and talk I think, about his combo too you know what I mean like yeah it's a small combo band and and it even though he's sort of the the star attraction he's not the sole emphasis and I know his mm-hmm. band has changed a little bit um but it's well, this, this is the third see, album yeah this is the third album with the trio it's uh, Jorge Roder and uh, drummer Dave King and these are guys that he met uh, and was just like uh, the drummer in particular pushed him to to improvise more. And and uh, and he's able to just sort of again deliver these like standards on this album, or make it sound like you're hearing a standard when you hear him play his own stuff. Yeah. And at the same time, have these wild improvisations that are, uh, you know, the stuff of jazz legend. You know, the stuff that you hear on these older records and stuff because he's studied. Oh, he, he can hang. There's no yeah, doubt about yeah. it. Like I. You know, I it's funny we we opened with the, my 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 failure as a uh, jazz uh, college pioneer <laughs> or whatever, but it you know wasn't really a failure at all. It was just like a, a a sort of distinct shift in emphasis. I didn't want to only play jazz music, right? I wanted right. to rock, and you know my guys were still like. I don't know, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix, Tony Iommi. And, yeah. and it, you know, but jazz was always in there. And so uh, I also had, you know, a real strong affinity for folks like John McLaughlin and Mahavishnu John McLaughlin and Robert Fripp and stuff. And I think those guys are just as core in my development. And that is in within the jazz, you know, universe that Lage touches on, especially uh, through his relationship or proximity to the the Nels Kleiniverse, you know, the, which I think is probably the, pro- more the Prague Jam, uh, the Prague Jazz uh, Venn diagram is is almost a circle. I mean, as a guitar player, what I really appreciate player. about Lage though is that uh, you know he his thoughtfulness and his articulation and his chordal, um, you know, sort of harmonic sensibility is beyond the pale. And so I want to break that down so people who aren't like music. Uh, like yeah. theory nerds can can get a sense of what that is. Um, people sometimes associate great guitar playing with single note playing. You know, uh, a lot of yeah. a lot of single note fast movements and um, and daring do, I guess. But there's another, I think, musical intelligence in improvisation that is equally impressive. And to me, I'm even more impressed because this is a deficiency in my own musical uh patterning right like mm-hmm. i've always done well with uh in the sort of frip end of the pool or the even the mclaughlin end of the pool when my chops were up that high and at one point they really were 
Sure, sure. Um, but like the amazing thing about Lage is just that he can have these really uh, elegant sentences spoken yeah. through chordal interpretation. And mm-hmm. when I use the word harmonic, we're talking about chord clusters. They imply chord changes, but they're also ideas that much like melodies are communicating something to you like a sentence or a thought or an idea. He's a master at that. And I usually, uh, there guitar players like that are rare. Uh, yep. and, and I always sort of fall for them because they represent something that is missing in my sort of uh, primary toolkit. Besides Klein, who do you think is a contemporary of his? Um, boy, on that instrument, that's a real tricky one. Um, you know, we have talked a lot because of my you know weird situation with the Grateful Dead about <laughs> some of the fake Jerry's, right? Yeah. And so I've scoped a lot of the fake Jerry's because uh, one thing that I was worried about and becoming so sweet on Garcia, so even late in life, was that I would adopt, I would end up picking up too many of his um, turns of phrase. I guess. Right. Right. Uh, but 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 that made me wonder to also, like, how are these other people that are like high caliber players, at least? I mean, even if I don't like what their you know, situation of origin is, you know, I can at least, you know, recognize that they're at a really high level as mm-hmm. musicians. So folks like Jimmy Herring, for example, what is Jimmy Herring all about? Well, he's really like intense, almost bionic in his uh, yeah. ability to express himself in a uh, single note, like shred clusters. And that's impressive. But I know what that is. Right. It doesn't it doesn't wind me up all that much because no. I kind of come from that universe, except and- he is a obviously like a. A, a technician of non-parallel, you but know? he's also he's also operating in the jam scene and came from it. He was playing with Colonel Bruce Hampton and is, yeah, and is now has been right. the touring guitarist with Widespread Panic for decades now. Right, but but at heart he's a jazz fusion player. Yes, absolutely. and I understand that type of player. Uh, I can look at a guy like Steve Kimock, and I know that you haven't really warmed up to him or whatever. I think yeah. it can take a while. My issue with Kimock was was all over the years is that like when I was running a record store, people would come in and. And just be like, Kim Ock. And I'd be like, what, what What? are you trying to express to me? It's like if they're buying Dave Matthews band tickets, yeah. they're just like, you got any Dave? And of course, immediately I'd be like, you mean Dave Stewart of the of the Eurythmics? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like, Let me show you, uh, you know, whatever I could do to like um, be, a, be a dick about it. Um, so I had all these negative associations of Kim Ock in my mind over, over the years. But what I found with Steve Kimock is, and this is, I would say Kimock might be Kimock. I just said it. Yeah. God, fuck that guy's name. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, Steve, if you're listening. Pendergrass. I hope, I hope you can come on dead to me soon. Yeah. Uh, but, the, but the thing about Steve Kimock's playing is that he is also very thoughtful and and and, and you got to hang with him for the whole yeah. paragraph. You know what I mean? You're not just getting like a lot of like real like hot tickles, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or or like somebody like humping your leg, basically, right? <laughs> like Kimok is not a leg humper, and Lege is also not a leg humper. So I think that I I like guys like that because it, you know there's a there's a certain amount of um uh. Well, class, I would say. Yeah, no, class is what it comes to. And I, th- I think class is what this album is about. I want to I play another track real quick. This is the title track. 
Uh, I know you love this song. I know I love this song. I know everybody loves this song. Oh, um, but I we want to. But I really but I, I want to play a little of this, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, how uh, or why or if Lage is that sort of magical key for people into the jazz world, and it's because of stuff like this. This is Lover. I think you should do a whole podcast on the song Love Hurts. We it's can do that. Just truly, it's been covered so many times. And, um, you know, it's really cheesy if if you have a, like, significant other, other if you have a significant other and, and there's a song that somehow, for whatever reason, you kind of really enjoy together. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, like, content aside you know lyrical content aside my wife and i really love this song just because i think we independently ended up really appreciating the multiple versions of this song do you celebrate the nazareth version i love the nazareth version okay Okay. you know listen emmy lou and graham parsons are wonderful and i'm the biggest everly biggest everly brothers guy in the world i love roy orbison too (laughs) uh look Cher's version is pretty fun (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but the nazareth version is they they really stamped that and they stamped it i think potently (laughs) yeah that's putting it like <laughs> right, but 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 this you know it, it is a it is a very it's a timeless piece. It's one of those songs that is is just true, 
and you don't know how uh, Bodo Bryant is. That, I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but you don't know how he got there, and and that that would be a subject of a whole podcast series. Like, mm-hmm. how do you get to that song in, in as a writer? But um, mm-hmm. once it's there, uh, much like um, Sweet Caroline, you know, it's it's just. It's yep. it's it's the truth. I get it, right? It, yeah, it, it it sort of takes you by the collar, and yeah. it sits, it sits you down, and it tells its uh, universal story, and it imprints on your like entire understanding of hu- being a human. Yeah. So 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 that brings us to Lage's version. So so I you know uh, he opened that show that we we've referenced in DC with this track and. Uh, I mean, setting the mood isn't even right. It's like you know, it's it's a uh, sort of it's just it's a new venue. Let's put it that way. There's no grime on the thing. It's not a smoky jazz club or anything. But it it transformed the place into something by by that. And, and people who were the normal DC concert going audience just sort of settled, and all of a sudden, and, and it transported everybody into Lage's world. And yeah. uh, and I think the song does that on record as well. And and I wonder, um, it's quite if, a feat. Let's let's add Lage's interpretation of "Love Hurts" to the pantheon of wonderful yeah. voicings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so so what I wonder is, is you know the inclusion of that the you know the album is named this. Um, if this is maybe an intentional, like Lage is has self awareness and he understands his place in jazz history and and so by doing this this is sort of it's not just putting a little stopper in the door for people to come in it's 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 leaving it like way cracked open. yeah so sure. you can see you can see what's going on in there you can see like what people are watching on tv you know just hanging out and the, but and it's like maybe i should go in and hang out with those people this guy's only 31 years old. Let me, I know. Let me like just puzzle at that. I was um, going to be a freshman in high school the year after he was born. And you're just a squeak older than me. So it yeah. is pretty wild to consider that somebody would have this level of erudition, not just as a you know player, but kind of um, really be able to soak up and represent the... Uh, a, a certain enormous range of American music, whether in his own compositions uh, or in in this spread, and going from "Love Hurts" to Ornette Coleman is yeah. it be proud to be an American. And you know, this is what I'm a patriot about, motherfucker. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that that's true. The this this particular segment of American music is. Um, for a while, I think it was in danger of dying out. I know people um, have taken issue, uh, especially with like black jazz artists, of saying like, "Oh, you see somebody like Makai McRaven pop up." Um, definitely see like Robert Glasper or now uh, Shabaka Hutchins, who's not American, but um, and and they're like, "Oh, it's the new golden age of jazz," and people are like, yeah. "Don't call it that." And I was like, "Fuck you!" Like, no, nobody is listening well, to jazz. And you know, get them look- in, man. You know, look, I know that music in America, the music industry in America is just like it's shot through with the same tensions that, you know, we're seeing in society in general. And mm-hmm. um, the, I think music has always been a, a place where folks can be inspired by the broadest and most diverse range of expression. And I would love to have that continue. So I don't like to yeah. necessarily get into that uh, sort of 
mindset. However, there, you know, when I think about something like Kamasi Washington, uh, someone yes. like Kamasi, who it gets a, a, a an enormous amount of press for his genre, um, you know, no, there's no doubt about it. Sure. And I think is really crucial in trying to uh, in, in managing to inspire younger generations to be at all interested in these kinds of um, I think that's hybrids these yeah. kinds of hybrids um, because he's d- digging deep into a, a, a you know African American soul bag he's digging deep into a a, a real intense and colorful uh, jazz universe of mm-hmm. his you know that that really belongs to his people it really belongs to his people in america yep. it's beautiful um i love that but on the other hand you know I, it's not that i'm in pursuit of the novel but i do like it right. when there's something like really kind of higher level about the soulful realization of the individual in the idiom john coltrane had that uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, some yeah. of the folks like that I think Kamasi is, is in my view, inspired by. Uh, I haven't read any interviews of him with him confirming this, like, you know, Pharaoh Sanders and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. like these people are really meaningful to me, too. Um, and, and I'm not a, a I'm not a black person in America. I don't right. like I haven't lived through that experience. I didn't live through segregation and I'm not a black person now. But I understand the potency and the, and the beauty and the realization of those people expressing themselves and their souls uh, yeah. on their instrument within this idiom. And sometimes to me, I feel that like Kamasi's thing is more like a book report, you know? Um, but the, uh, but with a- Lage, uh, you know, even though Lage is uh, like, I'm sorry, like I'm making, turning your, your podcast into like uh, Casey's explaining race, music, and America. Uh, explain it. Make a jazz, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a jazz. But Lage, you know, even though he's as you know as white as the driven snow or whatever, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he is taking a kind of universe of influences that are his, and I think maybe doing a little something with that that is yeah. uh, of his time and also timeless. Um, I know that Kamasi can position this stuff in such a brilliant way. And I know that he will do that, and I'm glad that he's here. We um, uh, on the old podcast, we actually talked to his bass player, Miles Mosley, and his keyboard player. Uh, that, that was off mic, Cameron Graves, and like that is part of their mission. Um, their manager runs the, uh, the. It's like a jazz institute in L.A. and and I think, uh, you know, what to my point that I was trying to make about this is that anything to get people in. Now and if you have to call it, that's right. I'm if you have to call it a golden age, you call it what you want. Whatever Look, it's marketing. Like you mentioned it earlier, like Lage is piggybacking on the jam rock scene, which is like the fucking whitest thing that's ever existed. Correct. man. Correct. But he's he's people and he's du- he's doubling down on it with Love Hurts the song. I think because everybody knows the Grand Parsons song, they don't know the Everly Brothers song. They they're like it's Grand Parsons and Emily Harris. But then yeah. there's going to be a subset of those people that know Aaron Col- Ornette Coleman, subset that knows Keith Jarrett. And then just to finish it off, he has Roy Orbison, which everybody knows. And I think it's a triumph. Uh, this album, as we start to like wind this down, is, is a triumph of not just playing and technical proficiency. Oh, we have to wind it down? Fuck. Yeah, we do. Uh, but, but not just playing and technical proficiency, but also of, of reading the fucking room. 
and giving us what we need. Yeah, I think that Lage is doing that on a level that is really intuitive and wonderful, and it does yeah. not sacrifice an iota of his musicality. No, nope. look, I think that's true of Kamasi as well. It's just for me as a listener, sometimes I I want somebody to really uh, like I it I want to be transported to a place where I'm experiencing the soul of the person making that music. Uh, the instrumentalist in jazz, right? And that's yeah, crucial. Yeah. If I'm li- listening to Elvin Jones and Coltrane's band, I could just listen to Elvin, you know? Yeah. Like there are times when I listen to Bill Evans and I'm like, nah, I- I'm listening to Scott, not Bill. Right? Right, 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 uh, right, and there right. are entire like universes to explore. And I think that that soul and that, um, and, and that uh, alacrity lives with the player, but is expressed from the heart. Kamasi expresses a lot of stuff from the heart, but I'm I'm I've not been convinced that he's at that level as a player. Uh, and this is just maybe it's a bias towards the instrument that I that I sure. play, but I hear the thoughtfulness in Lage's playing at a level that I think makes him. And I, in my opinion, doesn't mean shit. But like <laughs> in my estimation. He is uh, has achieved uh, at an extraordinarily young age a level of uh, kind of one of the greats in the voicings on his instrument, and you know the compositions are real real nice too, and so is his choice of covers. Woo. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree, and it is that's why this is a one thousand percent win of an album. I mean, if, if just go out and get it, man. I got the vinyl today; it showed up. So I'm going to be listening to this after this. Uh, Casey, thanks for hanging out. You uh, have a book coming out if you want to. I do. Well, you know, if you have me on the show again before June 11, I'll probably bring it up again. And everyone will be like, no, we're, we're going to talk, we're, we're talk about the book because it deals with uh, two of my favorite things, rock and roll and William Burroughs. Uh, people, people can also find you on uh, Dead let to me, me. Let me tell them what the book's called. It's, no, it's actually no. A, you don't get that much of a plug. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oops. Yeah. Go go for uh, it, man. It, it is uh, literally available for pre-order on Amazon. It is called William S. Burroughs and the Cult of Rock and Roll. And this is quite a yarn, my friends, because even if you don't know the Beat Generation writer, who uh, you know he's got a pretty dicey personal history, indeed. Uh, but but compelling. Uh, then you may be thrilled to hang out with musicians like Kurt Cobain and Lou Reed and David Bowie and Patti Smith and Thurston Moore and God at the at the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, the Pantheon is yeah, in man. this thing. So yeah, uh, that book exists. It comes out on June 11, but it uh, is available for pre-order. And I'm Amazon. looking forward Thank to you. it. Got a lot of time Got to it. read, is what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, right. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for hanging out. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back and uh, close this thing out. Julian Lage's Love Hurts is available everywhere now. I know the vinyl is available because it is in my possession. It has been spinning on my 
record player here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, pretty regularly. Uh, and it is, it is the jam. It is so, so good and so good to see um, people paying attention uh, to age, maybe outside the jazz world for this. Uh, hopefully, um, hopefully it gets more people turned on to this stuff. Hopefully you got turned on to this stuff. Big thanks to Casey Ray for hanging out. You're going to hear a lot more from him. But if you wanted to hear him, um, like we said, he's got the book coming out. But also over on Dead to Me, um, go to our site. You'll see the links up there. Uh, we also referenced a copy of a show that we that he's missed, but I saw in Washington D.C. at this place called Union Stage. I'll put a link to the show notes in that. We we posted it, I think, a couple months back, back right after it happened. But uh, I we'll put a link in it. It's it's astounding. It is basically this uh, this record, but done live. And uh, yeah, jams are real, man. And is so 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 good uh that is about it for this episode of discologist if you liked what you hear you know you can do a couple things first of all tell your friends if you're a fan of chunky glasses the podcast or you were even on chunky glasses the podcast uh we're now discologist so you know tell your friends hey shifted the name a little bit's changed not a lot's changed we're trying to actually feel this out uh you know we're gonna try to start featuring tracks at the end of these but i haven't quite figured out how to do that but but, you know, do that. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Mixcloud, or Stitcher. You can also listen to us on Spotify. We are we are hype up there. Um, and we are a Chunky Glasses production, which means you can go to ChunkyGlasses.com. You can find every episode, including the old podcast. This is episodes one through 400. You can find all the episodes up there. Uh, also, you can see the work of our live team uh, headed up by Mauricio Castro. They are based in Washington, D.C., and uh, and they're covering shows out there just about every night. I'm going to be getting to it here in Milwaukee in the Midwest soon enough. But for now, uh, these guys are some of the best in the biz. So if you if you want your, your live music fix, uh, some of the best concert photography around, go there. And uh, follow us on Twitter to see a lot of that, and Instagram. That is at Chunky Glasses there. We're on Facebook, but just backslash Chunky Glasses. And uh, pretty much out there everywhere on the Internet. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back in a few short days. going to be talking about Bob Mould's return, Sunshine Rock, with uh, the amazing PJ Sykes. And uh, you can't wait for you guys to hear that. And uh, check out the album in the meantime. Do some homework. All right. We're out of here. We'll see you in a few.